I drive zero RB in Dynasty. Pass up a young receiver? Nah, I couldn't be me. My fifth wide receiver, and it's only round seven. Not sure if I'm dead, cause I think this is heaven. Now forget what he said, and listen to me. What you really wanna do is stack those RBs. You can be Linda, just let me be frank. Those RBs on your roster is money in the bank. One says it's awful, the other says it's great. It's time to buckle in for a dynasty debate. Welcome and welcome and welcome in episode 172 of the Dynasty Debates, the best kept secret in all of Dynasty Fantasy Football. I am your humble host, as always, Evan Brown, the humblest host in the biz. You can catch me over on Twitter at FF. Evolution. You can follow the show at Dynasty Debates, or you can drop me an email, dynastydebates at gmail.com. Many ways to get in touch, get involved, let me know what you love, what you hate, what you want to hear more of on this show. Apologies for the lateness of this episode. I was deathly ill at the weekend. I had some sort of stomach bug thing. It was, I will not bore you or disgust you with the details. But yes, I was pretty, pretty sick as a dog on Sunday. So Monday's episode is now Wednesday's episode. Hopefully you can forgive me. But here we are. The hashtag usual prospects is back in business. We have amazing, wonderful Marvin back again for another episode. Marvin Eloquent at FF underscore Marvin E. If you don't already go follow him. He is awesome. He's a contributor for the fantasy footballers. Yes, that fantasy footballers. He does some writing over there for them. He does some writing for Yahoo Sports. He also is a contributor at Dynasty Nerds. He's an analytical whiz and he's all around just an amazing, amazing guy. We are breaking down wide receivers at the minute. So we do two two prospects per episode, shorter episodes, more digestible, just time to really think and dig into what we're talking about. We're going to tell you what we like, what we don't like, what we might be concerned about and where we would roughly draft these prospects and just give you some food for thought. So without any further ado, let's talk some rookies. Something is wrong with you. I got a fever. Adam himself could not resist the temptation of rookie fever. We have some more guys to talk about here. So as I mentioned at the very top with Marvin, the wonderful Marvin, who is very eloquently, get it? See what I did there? Um, been talking about these guys from an analytical perspective. I apologize for nothing, by the way, when it comes to the dad jokes. Um, I love it. It's absolutely a calling card of the show. And if you're here, you know and love it as well. So we're going to talk about a guy who is really interesting, really intriguing. I am really excited about, but I also can... You know, I think this whole wide receiver class, there's not like one prospect that you can point to and say there's no red flags. There's no concerns. This guy's a bulletproof prospect. But there is exciting prospects. And this guy certainly fits that bill. It's Mr. Jordan Addison. If you've been around at all, you probably have heard of Jordan Addison. He finished his college career at USC. He's 20 years old. So he is a junior, was a junior, early declare. So Marvin's back in. We talked about Mingo. He was out. <laughs> he wasn't interested. He's back in. Early declare. Buzzword. We've got yep. him back yep. on board, folks. Four-star recruit. Now he is a little bit undersized. We talked about size and, and how there's a lot of undersized players in this class. He's five foot eleven, one seventy-three. So not the biggest dude in the world. A um, couple of little interesting facts about Jordan Addison. So he did transfer from Pitt after two years there. So he was playing with Mr. Kenny Pickett. Um, after, you know, after the 2021 season, he goes ahead and transfers to USC, which, you know, I mean, look, even just from a purely a weather perspective, like who can blame him? Like, why would you not want to go from, you know, pit to like 
California. You know what I mean? I, I feel like that's understandable. Uh, he did win the 2021 Bolitnikoff Award, which is the nation's top receiver, the award to the nation's top receiver as a sophomore wide receiver at Pittsburgh, which I'm just going to go out on a limb here and assume that that gets Marvin all hot and bothered uh, when, when a player wins the Bolitnikoff Award as a sophomore from an analytical perspective. He was a two-way player in high school, so wasn't, as far as I'm aware, a multi-sport athlete, but he did play offense and defense in high school. Certainly a smart guy. Knows his way around a football field. So the interesting thing about him, and I'll let Marvin explain this or talk about this more and, and what his thoughts on it are. He's similar to a lot of these wide receiver prospects. He had a stellar 2021 and then like a disappointing 2022, certainly by his own standards. Now I'll tell you what I mean by that. So in 2020, as a freshman, he comes out, plays in 10 games, has 60 receptions for 666 yards, 11.1 yards per reception, four touchdowns. So really nice freshman year. Follows that up. We already talked about he won the Blitnikoff Award, but he did so in a fashion of 14 games, 100 receptions, 1,593 receiving yards, 15.9 yards per reception, and 17 touchdowns. So absolute dog uh, for Pitt in 2021 there. Then he transfers to USC, new obviously scheme, new quarterback, all that jazz. 2022, you know, Drake London's out of the building. He's there. He's the man. He only manages to play in 11 games, gets beat up a little bit. He puts up 59 receptions for 875 yards, 14.8 yards per reception and eight touchdowns. So it's not a terrible year. It's not like a, wow, this is garbage. But when you set those kind of standards, obviously it was a disappointing year for him, but he still went ahead and came out this year instead of waiting for his senior year. So I'm sure that's a good thing from an analytical perspective. Marvin, what are your thoughts on Mr. Addison? Do you love him? Do you hate him? Are you indifferent to him? Tell us the truth. I I love him as a prospect. He, to me, is um, the guy that grades the highest in in what the, the model that I put together and um, checks a lot of the boxes that you look for from a prospect. And, and you know, whether you... Man, he is a dog. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, that's exactly... That's Jordan Addison for you. I, he is um, like Jackson Smith and Jigba, defined by that second season that he put together. Um, truly impressive. And, and when you just look at some of the check marks that he has in his profile, he leads this class in receiving yards per game. Um, he's second in this class in college PPR per game. So for those that play campus to Canton, he probably was a really good player for you there. In year one, it, the fact that he was immediately involved and productive means a ton for his profile. 1.8 receiving yards per, per pass attempt in year one. Year two, that was bumped up to 2.9. That's the you know that's the lead threshold we look at. Anything above 2.7, 2.8, especially in year two, is is really good to see. Didn't quite hit what Jackson Smith and Jigba did with the three-point something that he got there. So that tells you a little bit about ceiling. But in year three, that's where it dipped a little bit. I will say, though, still year three, still really, really good. I mean, 2.3 receiving yards per team pass him does not anything to, to really just you know ignore. That's Some wide receivers don't even reach that in their career. So the fact that he did that in year three at USC uh, matters a ton. So because of that, he's someone who... I really like as far as just the consistent production that he provided, uh, the elite sophomore year that he had. The You kind of talked about this athletically, didn't do as well at the combine. And so I do wonder, will that affect his draft capital? In my opinion, I don't think it necessarily should, but it's something to keep an eye on. Does that have him drop out of the first round, which many project him to be as of right now? Hopefully it doesn't. But to provide some context here, I was looking at some potential comps for Jordan Addison, what he provides. I looked at 
since 2010, wide receivers that declared early finished their career averaging two receiving yards per team pass attempt, which is really good, got first-round capital, and weighed less than 190 pounds. Because I know that's one of the knocks on him. He's a little lighter. He's smaller. Since 2010, this list consists of Brandon Cooks, Will Fuller, Calvin Ridley, Marquise Brown, Rashad Bateman, Garrett Wilson, Jameson Williams. So this is a good group of wide receivers to be a part of. And assuming, you know, he gets first round capital, Jordan Addison would join this group. It's a good group of guys that, you know, even though they were lighter, they checked the production box. And ultimately, that's what you want to see, because if they produced with that same athletic profile in college, it's there's a higher chance that they can do that in the NFL. And so that's why I'm in on Jordan Addison, even though he's lighter. We kind of talked about how all these wide receivers are relatively light to begin with. So if you if you see that ceiling that he had in, in year two, I mean, that's that's ultimately what I want to what you want to see out of a prospect. And and so that's why, to me, he is in contention to be the wide receiver one in this class. So I'm all in. Jordan Addison is my guy. I, I like him quite a bit more even than than Jackson Smith and Jigba. But, you know, they're to me, they're both in that tier one. Just if I had to pick one, that's why, like, if you're in your rookie drafts, I'm fine passing on Jackson Smith and Jigba if I can get Jordan Addison at the 105, 106, because to me, they're very similar in that sense. Yeah. Like, so for for you, he's, he's on your little card, then like Jordan Addison, no matter what, like when it comes to rookie <laughs> drafts, he's yeah, the, yeah. he's the dude for you. I love yeah. it. Like, yeah, I think we finally found a player that we can agree on so far. Perfect, three, perfect. three players in, we found a player that we can both agree on. I think, you know, I'm still finalizing. So I basically it's a process, you know, for me and going through film and refining it. And I do look at some of the analytical stuff and impact it a little bit on my grades, not as much, mostly film-based, but it's a continued process. You know, I put down an initial score, go back and refine it, look at a little bit more tape, maybe some older tape, try and get a final grade. So I'm not going to say it just yet, but it looks to me like Jordan Addison's probably going to be my wide receiver one in this class. Um, you know, I really liked, it's weird because the production wasn't there in this last year, but I actually thought he got a little bit better as a player from like watching him. Like certainly my impression of him, I felt like he had a sharper release on his routes in 22 versus 21. Um, I really thought he had some, you know, sharp cuts. Um, he was sharper on his cuts, his fakes. So I just felt like he got more nuanced and more mature as a route runner in 22 versus 21, which you love to see. I mean, that's, mm -hmm. like I said, with wide receivers, one of the things I really want to see is good route runners. That's why I loved, you know, that's why I loved Chris Olave. I loved Garrett Wilson mm -hmm. last year. Um, was like, man, these guys are route running technicians. Like they're brilliant at what they do. They create separation through their routes, not just through hand fighting and things like that. Um, you know, obviously there was some drops. That was a concern you know, balls slipping through his hands and things like that. Now, I believe part of that could be, if I'm not mistaken, I think, um, yeah, he has eight and three quarter inch hands. So really small hands. <laughs> like I'm not a, a hand size truther or anything like that, but like yeah. it doesn't, it does help here. You know, got 10 inch hands and stuff like that yeah, to yeah. like really just rip the ball. He's got small hands. So sometimes you do see that with some drops or hand balls slipping through his hands, um, which is frustrating. But like I said, he has a really nice, nice, quick, sharp, cut back motor down on his routes when he's going out and just really throws a lot of cornerbacks off. I feel like he does play a lot in the slot, but he's able to play out wide. So he has that versatility where he can move outside and, you know, take advantage of some mismatches if they're there. Um, but I feel like, yeah, he's just an, he's a dynamic player. You watch him and you get excited watching him. You're like, this guy's awesome. You know, like mm -hmm. you, you really just get, get a bit jacked up watching him play and he's a lot of fun. And I definitely think he's just a playmaker. So, thing is like this class in general for wide receiver in my opinion is 
I don't know that there really is any true wide receiver one in this class, like as in like this is going to be an NFL team's wide receiver one. But I mean, him, a couple of the other guys could be like a really impactful, really exciting wide receiver two, mm-hmm. you know, which if you think about it, like T Higgins is the wide receiver two in Cincinnati, but we all love T Higgins, you know, for our yeah. dynasty rosters, we're all happy having T Higgins on our roster. Same way you could say Jalen Waddle is technically the wide receiver two in Miami, but man, I love Jalen Waddle. You know, I can certainly take mm-hmm. Jalen Waddle on my team all day. Devonta Smith is the wide receiver two in Philadelphia, but he's awesome. We you love know? So him, yeah. again, I don't mean that these players suck or they're crap. Mm-hmm. I just mean, I don't know that Jordan Addison or any of these guys we've talked about are true alpha, like, you know, going to be a Jamar Chase or a DeAndre Hopkins in his prime, sort of like wide receiver one dude um, who's just commanding 40% target shares and all this kind of stuff. But I really like Jordan Addison. I definitely have a strong grade on him. Obviously, really happy taking him in the first round. Um, but yeah, I don't feel like, you know, there's too much really – you know, I think most people are happy and most people are going to be there with him. So I, I think we're just sort of chiming in with what we like. There's nothing too controversial there. Probably the most controversial thing was the JSN take. That We've got that out of the way now. We're moving on. Um, so yeah, I think like Jordan Addison, there's a lot to like. Yeah, There's not really, I was trying to think about it. There's not really much that, you know, could put me off of him. I don't think really. I mean, if something just, I'm trying to be, I mean, if I'm being crazy and, you know, he falls all the way to like the third round or something yeah. and, mm-hmm. uh, and then goes to like, I don't know, like a really run heavy team or something, you know, yeah, then, yeah. then yes, I can understand being a little bit, maybe a little bit nervous about that yeah, because yeah. I think you have to be, it would just be, it would be weird not to be, you know, and I think that is something I would say as well in this whole process, don't be so blindly um, married to your pre-draft takes that you don't allow yourself the wiggle room to adjust based on what the how the NFL values these players. Not that the NFL is never wrong because they are, they're wrong all the time, but you know, a lot of draft capital and landing spot, especially landing spot for more so for running backs, but a lot of draft capital and things is about pathways to relevance. It's about how quickly is this player going to get a chance to prove what they've got and how much value does the team that's drafting them put on them. So if the team's only drafting them in the fourth or fifth or sixth round, they're obviously maybe have a plan for them, but they're not that desperate to get them on the team. So I think that's just stuff we have to keep in mind. You know, even if we love a prospect, if they fall in the draft a bit, we have to be willing to readjust. So mm-hmm. that's all I've, that's all I'm going to say about that because we do have a really, oh, I'm so disappointed because we have a guy to talk about here that is so much fun to say. I mean, literally, we talked about drip factor. We talked about potential nicknames. This guy certainly, in my opinion, probably has to be the 101 of potential nicknames for this class. <laughs> it is none other than Mr. Kayshawn Boutte. Um I really wanted, and I forgot, I'm so disappointed in myself. I really wanted to clip that little like sound clip, you know, where they're like, booty, 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 rocking everywhere. <laughs> I wanted to drop that every time we talked about it, but we'll have to just uh, imagine, imagine in your head yeah. that that's happening. So we're talking about Keyshawn Boutte, which is a lot of fun to say. Um, he played for LSU. He is a 20 year old junior. So we might still have we might still have him on board. We might still have Marvin on board here. He's a junior, early declare, has a fun name. What's not to love so far? Five star recruit, so very highly touted, highly thought of. He's 5'11, 195, so a little bit better size, kind of near that 200 pound threshold, almost six foot tall, still a little bit short, but not terrible. He was so Keishon Butte is a really, really interesting one again, and I'm excited to hear, you know, Marvin wax lyrical or or just trash him completely because he's another guy sort of feel like a broken record here but he's another wide receiver who had really good he had a really good freshman year 
a really exciting sophomore year, got injured, and then had a really disappointing junior year in 2022. Um, in 2020, though, he was a freshman All-American, so he absolutely was smashing in 2020. In 2021, he had his season cut short due to an ankle injury, so he only played in six games. But for example, in those six games, he already had 38 receptions, 509 yards, 13.4 yards per reception, and nine touchdowns. So he's a touchdown machine those first two years. First two years he plays, he plays in 16 games, and he has like um, – 14 or 15 touchdowns. So he's like literally averaging like a touchdown a game pretty much. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's doing really, really well, doing lots of his stuff, really exciting. I think uh, before he was injured, maybe even after he was injured in 2021, a lot of people were putting him in like the top three or four receivers in this class sort of range. Very excited about him. And then 2022, he plays in 11 games, but he only gets 48 receptions, 538 yards, 11.2 yards per reception and two touchdowns. So literally... In the most games he's played in a season, he has barely more receptions than he did his freshman year. He has less receiving yards than he did in his, in his freshman year. And honestly, about the same amount of receiving yards as he did in six games his sophomore year, he has the lowest yards per reception and the lowest touchdowns. So talk about really sort of ending on a bum note and just really, uh, you know, <laughs> Just not where you wanted, not where you'd want to like end your college career if you're looking to see how high you can get in the uh, NFL draft. And then, sadly, you know, kind of unfortunate for him, he does go to the combine and really just sort of puts up very pedestrian numbers. Unfortunately, um, so he doesn't really distinguish himself as like an athletic specimen, really either. He ran a four five forty, which is okay. As I mean, it is what it is. He's primarily a slot guy, anyways, but that's okay. But 29 inch vertical um just not good numbers really from an athletic so wasn't able to kind of distinguish himself that way but like i said marvin you're the man with the the master plan here when it comes to analytics what do you do with this guy like what do you do with this prospect who looked like an on this highway to superstardom Mm -hmm. and now is like what happened what happened yeah yeah that's um that's a great question i i think the ankle surgery and the ankle injury certainly had something to do with it too. Um, and to be completely honest, when I when you put him on our list of guys we want to discuss, I, I you know I've, I dug into him a little bit already. I kind of knew his profile, and I went into this thinking oh, I'm not going to like this guy at all. But I, I'm actually surprised at how decent his profile looked. If you kind of just like take a take a step back and see what he did at each year, and then what does that look like in total? And so. The athleticism is a concern to me. Like you said, you know, I'm not someone who like weighs it super, super heavily because nothing tells us historically that, you know, the higher your 40 time, the higher your speed score or, or burst score, whatever it is, the more successful you are in the NFL. It can vary. But the fact that he had a second percentile speed score or burst score is a little concerning. That's that's a problem. But then when you look at his production profile and what he did up until his second season, I mean, 25 percent of the teams receiving yards in year one. That is really impressive. 28.6% of the teams receiving yards in year two. Really good too. And you kind of touched on this. He accounted for 53% of the teams receiving touchdowns. Over 50% in his second season. That's ridiculous. And he essentially accounted for like 41% of their entire receiving offense in the games that he was healthy. That is really, really good to see. And year three, that's where the decline happened post-ankle surgery and, and kind of rehabbing that. It was a 20% uh, share of the receiving yards. So it's a decline from his first and second season. But honestly, 20%, some wide receivers don't even hit that in their first three seasons. So that's something we need to keep in mind as well with him. 
Never really had that elite season, though. That's a little bit of a concern. And it feels in some ways we were maybe robbed of that in year three. If he didn't get injured, he was on that trajectory. So that's something we need to keep in mind here. To me, he's a prospect that offers a little more risk because of what he showed us at the Combine and and what that could mean for his ultimately his draft capital, which matters a ton for us. He is an early declare, but you know you can't do anything about that if he slips into day three or if he's a you know there's you know something else happens you know there's just you you really have to just follow the draft capital with him and then he's the one of the wide receivers I'm so curious to see where he lands when he's selected. With that being said, he's still a 72nd percentile prospect for me because of what he did in his first few seasons. There's still a lot of things to like about him. It's just you know right now we just kind of have to wait and see what the what the NFL thinks of him and how they value him so i'm curious to see what you think of him from a film standpoint because from a number standpoint he checks quite a few boxes but just not every single one of them like a JSN or a Jordan Addison for example i think you know so the thing for me with Keishon Butte is i basically i'm just like he's basically Jarvis Landry without the juice that's a great so, so it's like yeah 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 you know he literally, I mean, it, it, obviously they both played at LSU. They mm-hmm. were both slot receivers. And actually, if you dig into it a little bit, mm-hmm. like they're really surprisingly similar from like height, weight, and all that sort of stuff. So mm-hmm. if you look at, for example, um, you know, Keishon Butte, he's 5'11 and an eighth, 195 pounds, ran a 4'5, um, 40. And then you look over at Jarvis Landry, he was 5'11 and a half, 204 pounds. He ran a 4'5, 8, 40. You know, so from an athletic perspective, they're very similar, I think. Um, obviously, Jarvis, like I jokingly said, he had the juice. He was juice. You know, his hands were insane. Um, you know, he just caught everything thrown his way. Really great route runner. So unfortunately, he doesn't have he's like, like I said, he's a poor man's version. I would say, you know, like he played in the slot LSU. He does have decent hands. He doesn't have Jarvis Landry hands, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. His routes aren't the sharpest or the cleanest, but he does have nice sharp cutbacks. He is able to recognize soft spots and leverage opportunities. So I feel like he's a pretty smart player. I feel like he understands and he sees the field pretty well. I feel like he is a playmaker. He's a guy who finds ways to make things happen. You see that with the touch. I think, you know, we talk about variance a lot with touchdowns and that is totally true. Absolutely Mm -hmm. is. But I do think like, once you get in that red zone, there is like almost a skill to like, you know, being able to score regularly. And there is just a knack for it, you know, with wide receivers and with running backs, some guys just have that ability and some guys don't, Um, you know, again, that's not a scientific thing. You can't put a number on, Oh, you're going to always get six touchdowns a year from this guy or whatever, but you can see it. Like he was just getting in the end zone regularly and he wasn't used. He was using the slot and out wide. He was put in motion. He was used with screens. So you can see a lot of ways that he could be used at the next level. It's just, unfortunately he does like, I feel like he needs improvement in all those little areas. You know what I mean? It's Mm -hmm. not like I think with, again, to go back to this analogy, you know, when you think back to Landry, it was like, yeah, he bombed his like, he was literally like the worst wide receiver at the combine his year, I think, and things like that. It was really bad. But you knew that he's an amazing route runner and he's got great hands. So you were like really confident. You know what I mean? Yeah. So the problem mm-hmm. with Butte is that he didn't bomb it, but he certainly didn't do himself any favors with the combine testing. He wasn't like lighting it up or anything. So he kind of sucked at it there. Um, and he doesn't have that 
elite route running or elite hands or whatever to kind of lean back on. So he's somebody mm-hmm. for me, I'm certainly still intrigued by. I still certainly like, I certainly see a pathway to relevance because like you say, especially if he's going to be a Keenan Allen Jarvis Landry type guy, he doesn't need to be a burner. He doesn't need to be mm-hmm. running a four, two or whatever. But those guys, the Keenan Allens, the Jarvis Landrys, those are guys who literally, you know, they were the pristine, pristine route runners. You know, they were able to hang their hat on, on these elite traits of like, yeah. man, their hands are incredible. They run these amazing routes. They just shake people out of their boots. And I, I think that I, I see a pathway to relevance. I see how he could get there. But like you said, for me, he's one of the receivers more so than probably most other receivers. It's really, really, really going to matter like draft capital. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like if somebody sure. is believes in him enough to to give him even a third round draft pick, then I'd be really intrigued and he'll bump up my boards a good bit because like I said, I can see things and especially that freshman sophomore year, you see the, you know, the versatility being able to go out wide, being able to drop down the slot, being able mm-hmm. to, you know, use in end rounds, being able to use in the screen game. So you see him be able to use, you know, have have a, an ability with yak, which I think is really important especially in the NFL nowadays. Mm-hmm. I love to see guys who can create yak, but again, I would like to see stronger hands I would like to see sharper routes. If a team believes them enough to give them that, I'll be very intrigued with them and I'll certainly be bumping them up my draft boards. I would say based on the skill set, based on what he was able to produce, if he gets that decent draft capital, like I could see him being a second round pick for me, you know, in a one Mm -hmm. QB league. Um, Because like I said, there are those flashes and you see the pathway and he does have decent enough size and things like that. Where would you be sort of comfortable taking a shot on him in a one QB league? Like let's assume that he gets like third round draft capital somewhere. Yeah. I'd, I'd say down in the, you know, the, the mid to late second, I think, is where I'd want. I think there are tight ends that I'd probably want ahead of him at that point. There are running backs I'd want ahead of him just because of the scarcity of that position to the upset it could provide. Um, yeah, I think we just need to realize with him that there is, well, there is that ceiling. And one of the guys that I actually looked at that, you know, grades super closely to him in like almost every aspect is Randall Cobb. That is the the guy who wasn't super athletic, lower percentile in a lot of those athletic numbers, but you know, was decently productive and got that second round capital, right? Day two capital. But then the, on the flip side, the, the, the floor is low with, with, um, with, uh, Keyshawn, uh, Boutte. And so you have to just remember that when you're drafting him in your rookie drafts, but I still think second round cap, uh, second round rookie drafts is where you want to still select him because there is still that upside. There's still that intrigue in what he did in his first two years. You can't, you can't ignore that. There was definitely upside that, that you could see from that too. Absolutely. And I think, you know, as well, you sort of really, you know, you hit the nail on the head. Like, I think for me, one thing I do that maybe is a little bit different than a lot of other people when they're talking about like their draft grades and their draft processes, like I try and because what what I, I just love the draft process. Like I genuinely, the real NFL draft offensive and defensive side, I love listening to like move the sticks and all these podcasts mm-hmm. where they're mm-hmm. talking about the prospects and what they like and what they don't like and things. And it's really fun. Um, obviously I'm more focused here on dynasty fantasy football. So how's that going to relate to us? Uh, but I love the idea of, you know, a lot of what they'll talk about with actual scouts and stuff is they'll just say like, Oh, I've got a first round grade on him or I've got a second round grade on him and stuff. And I'm actually trying to adopt that in my way of looking at things. Mm-hmm. So for example, I'll just be like, Oh yeah, I've got a second round rookie draft grade on him or a high second round rookie draft grade and things like that. Because, um, 
I don't know if it's as beneficial for me personally, because I know everyone has their own like flavors and their own style, what they're looking for in their teams and things like that. I believe in for the most part in rookie drafts, a lot of times I try to go best player available, but mm -hmm. you know, what I try and do then is I'm trying to say like, yeah, I'll give like somebody like Butte. Yeah. I'll give him all. I've got like a, a mid second round grade on him. So that means that, you know, if it's me or if you're listening to me and you're trusting my rankings or my thought process, it means when you're getting into the middle of the second round, you're like, okay, guys that are, I've got, you know, you know, Evan's got a mid second round grade on Butte and he's got a, a second round grade on a chain. And you know what I mean? And you're mm -hmm. looking at like, these are the guys here that are in this range. Oh, this guy's fallen. He's got a first round grade, but he's now in the early mid second round. That's a real value for me versus like, okay, maybe I'm reaching a bit here. You know, if I'm taking this guy at two or three, when he's really like a third round grade sort of thing. So that's the kind of thought process behind it as we continue to evolve but yeah i definitely think there's stuff to like there he's certainly somebody that could be a post hype sleeper you know for mm -hmm. lack of a better term mm -hmm. Butte, because i think coming into the year people were expecting him to be a first round pick you know what i mean like yeah. in rookie drafts i think people yeah. were expecting that now he's fallen so far but you still got to believe in some of the traits believe in some of the the talent and believe in some of the production because he did uh have an injury that he came back from if he's able to fully heal up and get back to his, his old self he could be a real value in your rookie drafts Two more exciting prospects in under 30 minutes. What more could you possibly ask for on a Wednesday? So if you've enjoyed that, can I just ask you a massive favor? Go make sure that you're subscribed on whatever platform you choose to listen to your podcasts on. But also, if you can, if you have the ability to, please, please, please drop a rating and review for the pod. It really helps the show. It really helps me. I really appreciate it. And best of all, it costs you nothing. So there you have it. Great, great way to spend your Wednesday listening to this show and then reading and reviewing it. Hopefully you have a great rest of your hump day and catch up with us again on Friday where Marvin is back again and we're dropping two more prospects. I drive zero RB in Dynasty. Pass up a young receiver? Nah, I couldn't be me. My fifth wide receiver and it's only round seven Not sure if I'm dead cause I think this is heaven Now forget what he said and listen to me What you really wanna do is stack those RBs You can be Linda, just let me be frank Those RBs on your roster is money in the bank One says it's awful, the other says it's great It's time to buckle in for a dynasty debate <laughs>